And all God's people said, Amen. I felt slighted. Watch it. But uh, it is glorious Sunday, right? He is risen. And I want you to say that many times today as we look at God's word together. Today we're going to look at uh, John chapter 20. John chapter 20. For right now, I'm going to read the first 15 verses, and we will read more as we go along. John chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon, Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were running together, and the other disciple ran faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. And the face cloth which had been laid on his tomb, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then entered, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary was standing outside the tomb weeping. And so she wept, she stood, and looked in the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and one at the feet, where the body of Jesus had been lying. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, Because they have taken my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. When she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but did not know it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Let us pray. Lord, we, oh Lord, we are much like Mary and Peter and John so much that we don't understand. But this great truth we know, he is risen. And that makes all the difference. Because we know your promises are sure. We know that you will fulfill everything you say you're going to do. Lord, help us this morning to renew afresh that great truth that should make a difference in all that we do and think, all of our emotions, our attitudes should be based on the fact that Christ is risen. Lord, your word is sure, and yet we are not. Your word will last forever, and we will not. 
For as the scripture says, all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. And the grass withers, and the flower falls off, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Thank you, Lord, that your word is sure, and we can trust in it completely. We pray now, even I pray, guide me in my tongue. May my notes not hinder me from saying what your spirit would want me to say. In Christ's name, Lord, we do ask. Amen. You're driving down the road and you see the blue lights flashing in your rear view mirror. You've been speeding. You knew what the speed limit was. And so you really don't have an excuse. You just, you broke the law. But more than that, you knew a truth that did not affect what you were doing. It's like college students now taking their finals or high school students or any, you know, child taking tests. You get the test back and you've missed something. And you say, I knew that. I knew that answer, right? But it wasn't there when you needed it. It didn't affect what you said on the test. The resurrection can be like that. It's a truth we know. It's a truth we've heard for many of us much of our life. But how much does it affect the way we live, our thoughts, our attitudes, our emotions, how we react to various situations? We are here today to celebrate the resurrection, and really as we do every Sunday. Because it makes a difference. Because the resurrection changes everything. Doesn't it? Does the resurrection change everything in your life? Is the fact that he is risen really grab you in a way that when things are going bad, you can say, but I know this truth. Christ lives in heaven for me and prays for me no matter what the situation. Because he is risen. And when I say that today, I want you to respond with what? That's right. Because that's what we need to remember. Every day of our life, he is risen. And the Bible describes people just like you and me. In this passage, we see people with the various reactions and emotions just like you have and I have every day. Sometimes they're confused, sometimes they doubt, they have fear, they have all these emotions. But there's one thing that made the difference in their life. Christ arose from the dead and proved that he was the Savior. Proved that he did what he said he would do. So look first, look at Mary. I'm not going to tell you how many points I have in this sermon because I know how you are. You'll start counting them down. Okay, that's three. I only got five more. But um, 
Or it's like the kids, some of the kids here, you know, they ask, how many more songs do we need to sing? Because they know once you sing so many songs, we get to leave. But I'm not going to tell you, but just ride along with me. First, you see Mary, confusion, right? That's what you see in Mary when she gets to the tomb, this confusion about God's ways. Why is God doing this? And we relate to Mary. We're, often we do not understand what is going on. And why God is doing what he is doing. So she's confused. She gets to the tomb. The body's gone. The stone is rolled away. She can't do what she had come to do. And so what does she do? She runs back to the disciples and tells them and spreads her confusion. Her concerns she spreads. So the disciples, Peter and John, we know it's John because he never names himself. He always refers to the other disciple. And that's John that's talking about himself in this passage. So Peter and John run to the tomb, and they get there. But they believe. They finally understand the scriptures. And then Mary hangs around, and finally Mary goes in, and she sees two angels. And the angels ask her a question, and then she sees Jesus, and Jesus asks her the same question. What is it? Why are you crying? The implied what he's saying, what they're saying is, it's not a time to cry, it's a time to rejoice. Don't you understand? Jesus is alive. We have confusion. We have despair because of things that happen that are bad. But finally, a dramatic change happens to Mary, doesn't it? A dramatic change. What is it? What changes Mary? She understands that it's Jesus, and Jesus is alive. And the resurrection changed everything for her. She went from being confused to worshiping Christ, to grabbing hold of him and not wanting to let him go. So the resurrection is meant to change everything about our life. Why? Why? Because he is risen. He is risen but wait. Wait a minute. You think Mary still had confession uh, questions? You think she was still confused? You think Mary still wondered about what was happening? Yes. We know they still were confused. I, I love that passage in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus is with the disciples. It's at the very beginning of chapter, right, first few uh, verses of Acts chapter 1. And you know what happens? Jesus is with them and he gives them the commission that they shall go out into all the world. And then what happens? You remember? Jesus is taken up into the clouds, right? And this is what the disciples are doing. And two angels come along and they say, what are you doing? No, they don't say, what are you doing? They're saying, why are you looking up? And the an implied answer is, question is, what are you doing looking up? Don't you understand? No, they didn't. They didn't understand completely. Not until the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost. They didn't understand because they were still confused. They still didn't understand completely what their mission was and what God was going to do. They stay confused because 
they didn't completely understand what God was doing and how God was working. And we are like that. We stay confused. We don't understand what God is doing. But the resurrection, the resurrection says one thing for sure. I'm in control, God says. My plan is perfect. I've got it all worked out. You don't have to understand it. I do. I'm going to give you an illustration here from my life. Becky, I didn't ask Becky permission to tell you this. She won't like it. But uh, we, our first mission field was to go to Liberia. And we shipped 90% of everything we owned to Liberia. Now, some of you have been to our house. You've known. We have, we, we, God has blessed us. We have, our house is full. We have lots of stuff. But everything we shipped to Liberia, we lost. Now, why do I tell you that? Because we were confused. God had called us. We were convinced God had called us to go to Liberia as missionaries. It was clear God had made the way. God had brought in the support. We, we had the money, but he took everything. Why, God? Why? I still don't know. But this I know. God knows. And God's in control. And, you know, I just call it stuff. And there's this store down there called Wall Stuff. Or stuff mart. You know, it's out there. We don't, you know, God can take it away, but God will give it back. The point is, we stay confused, but it drives us back to the truth. Christ has risen. And that makes all the difference because he has proved that he's in control. He knows what's going on. He has a perfect plan. He had a perfect plan for salvation. Not the Jews, not the disciples. Nobody could understand it. Why would Christ have to die? Because that was the only way we could be saved. Is Christ had to die to pay for my sins and your sins. But then he arose, not just to defeat death, but to show I am victorious. My plan is perfect. You don't have to completely understand it. I, God says, understand. And I'm in control. And how we respond, our emotions, our, our thoughts, how we act in the world is governed by the fact that Christ is alive in heaven praying for me. But how do we respond? With trust, when bad things happen, when we don't understand what's happening, with trust or with doubt. There's another attitude or reaction we see in this passage, and it's fear. Look at verses 19 through 22. It says, so when it was evening on the day, the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut, where the disciples were, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples then rejoiced uh, when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, I also sent you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Fear. 
They were afraid. What were they afraid of? They were afraid of the Jews. If they had killed Christ, the Jesus, they would kill, maybe come and take them away. Think of the Israelites in the Old Testament. God took them out of Egypt, did many miracles to, to free them from the Egyptians. But when they get to the Red Sea, what do they do? Oh, Lord, we're going to die. You brought us out here to kill us. Fear. Throughout, you see, throughout the life of Israel, over and over, there was fear. No trust in the Lord. Why do we fear? Why are you afraid of certain situations? Job security, maybe. You're not going to pass that test. You're afraid of how other people will accept you. What's the solution? How do we overcome fear? I like what George McDonald says. Fears are often because of imperfect understanding of our relationship to God. Fear should be replaced by perfect love that will cast out fear. That's exactly what the scriptures say. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We are afraid, you and I, in every situation, when you're afraid, when you have this knot in your stomach, when you're just concerned, why? Because we don't really trust God's love for us or for the situation. What happens in John 20, verse 19? Jesus appears before them and he says, peace be with you. What is that peace? What kind of peace is that? You ever, you ever had an argument? I, I'm going to ask this, but I know the answer already. You ever had an argument with your spouse? If you say no, we need to have a talk. Or an argument with a close friend. You know, you know how you feel in your stomach? You know that knot that exists? You know that just sort of, I don't like the situation? That's the opposite of peace, obviously. But what is biblical peace? Biblical peace is an inner feeling that God is going to make it all right. Peace is an inner feeling that my relationship with God is right. My relationship with God is what's most important. Paul says in Romans chapter 5, God writes through Paul, therefore, Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exalt in hope of the glory of God. God's peace is this inner knowledge that if I have Christ as my Savior, my relationship with God cannot be damaged. Nothing can change that relationship with my God, so I don't need to fear. But it's also an outward peace. It's also a peace that says, I know God is doing what's best for me. I know that God has everything in control. That's why he says in Romans 8, he says, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, if children, 
Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. It's that knowledge, I'm a child of God. You ever, some of you can remember back when you were a little child. I can't. Barely. But you remember there was a really dangerous situation? And what did you do? What's, what's the first words out of your mouth in those Wake up at night, not a nightmare, some dangerous, or something you see in the yard, something happens. What do you cry out? Mommy! That's right. Mommy, not daddy. Mommy! Why? Why do you cry out, Mommy? Because you know she loves you, she cares for you, she's going to protect you. That's what that means when it says in Romans 8, we have this assurance that we are children of God. We cry out, God, help me. Because I know you love me and you care for me. That's the difference that the resurrection makes. He has proved that he is going to give us the peace. He's going to love us. He does what's best for us no matter what. How much more can he prove that he loves us. And the fact that Christ himself, Jesus himself was willing to die for me and for you. That's the difference. That's the difference that the resurrection makes because he is risen. risen I like what Tim Keller says. There's the types of love relationships. He says to be loved. Now listen to this. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. To be loved and not known is comforting, but superficial. Secondly, to be known and not loved is our greatest fear. To be known and not loved is our greatest fear. But then thirdly, to be fully known and truly loved is exactly what it means to be loved by God. To be fully known and totally un, without reservation, loved is the love of God for us. And that should cast away fear. I was talking to a pastor once who was interested in being a missionary. And he says, I know God, that's what God wants. I know it. I know God, God wants us to be a missionary. He had the country picked up. And he says, I've prayed about it. And I know that's what God wants, but I can't do it. I'm afraid. I'm afraid if I go, I won't be successful. I won't be able to preach enough. That's the preacher's problem. I won't be able to preach as much as I want to preach. I'm afraid I'll be a failure. It just won't work. Fear. It's the fear. That if I obey God, I will not be happy. The fear that if I obey God, I will not be happy. It's the same lie that Satan told in the garden. If you obey God, you will not be as happy as you can be. That's a fear that God does not want us to have. It's a fear. There is a godly fear. But he doesn't want us to have the fear. He wants us to say, I know God loves me. 
And I don't have to be afraid because the resurrection, the resurrection changes everything because he is risen. Okay, thirdly, I know you're counting anyway. Thirdly, let's look at doubt. That's a big one, doubt or uncertainty. Look at uh, verses 24 through 28. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe. After eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them, and Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger, and see my hands, and reach here with your hand, and put it in my side, and do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. Some of you have doubts. Some people do have, doubt is a natural thing that we all have. And you, some of you may not even know Christ. You don't really trust that Christ is real, that God is real, or that you don't really trust in Christ. And you said, yeah, if Christ stood right here like he did for Thomas, and I could touch him, then I would believe too. But that wouldn't be enough either. Because your doubt is a deep doubt that God can really love you and care for you. Your doubt is a doubt deeper than Thomas's because Thomas had lived with him for years. Your doubt is one of, I don't believe God is really the God I want to worship and serve. But others of us have doubts too. We have doubts. I had a book here, but I've gone. Uh, others have doubts about can we really believe God's promises? Becky gave out a little booklet, and I had it, and now it's gone. Becky got, gave out a little booklet for the, in the name of the church to the people of Illaway, and it was the promises of God. And there's some great promises in there. For example, do you know the promise? If you have faith as a mustard seed, what? What? You can move mountains? Do you really believe that? How many of us, I'm not going to ask you to show hands because we're Presbyterian. How many of us really believe that if we have faith as a mustard seed, we can move mountains? Or what about the great promise in Romans 8, 28? You know that promise? I believe that God works all things for my good to those who love him. Do you really believe that? As you look at your life and examine your life and see what's happening, do you really believe that God is doing everything that's best for you? So we have doubts. We're all Thomases. We're all right there in that same boat as Thomas. God, make it, show me it's true. Show me it's real. Show it to me. Make it, make it real to me. Because we have doubts that God can really do that. I saw this quote, faith, now listen, faith admits a need for help. Pride does not. 
Faith banks on God to give help. Pride will not. Faith casts anxieties on God. Pride will not. So I want to kind of wrap this up with a testimony of a lady I read about. She's now a Christian songwriter and singer, but this is her testimony. She says one day she watched as her two-year-old daughter tumbled down the 15-stair staircase. She says, I stood helpless as her little body hurled down. She stood up without a scratch, but my soul didn't. Her name is Alicia Childers, and she says, in that moment, I became aware of my doubts. Doubts I had my whole life about God's existence and the Christianity I had believed to be true. I prayed for my daughter, and she was okay, but for the first time in my life, I wasn't so sure it was divine intervention. For the first time, I felt foolish for praying. It was terrifying to realize the faith that once had been my identity now seemed more like a child's fairy tale than the explanation of reality. I thought doubt and faith were opposites. And I shouldn't question God. I learned doubt isn't the opposite of faith. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And she writes, if we don't ask the hard questions, the whys, and the whats about what we believe, we find ourselves defenseless against tragedy, skeptics, and difficulties. Doubt is not wrong. Doubt is what we all have. Confusion is what we all experience. Fear is what we all experience. But what makes the difference? What do we do when we have those times? There's only one thing to do. You go back to the truth. You go back to what makes all the difference. Christ has proved his love for me. Christ has shown that he is victorious. Christ is the one who has overcome everything. For me, for every believer, Christ has made the difference because he is risen. He is risen. And our response is just like the disciples. When he appeared before them, it says they were glad or they rejoiced. Joy. Now, you know, some joys, there's different types of joy, right? Like right now, Gina and Noah have a joy, kind of, you know, that joy that is, they're looking forward to their wedding, right? That's a joy. Your students, some of these, some of these student, college students here are looking forward to what? Finishing your test and graduating. That's a joy. You walk across that stage. Yeah, I did it, right? That's a joy, but it doesn't last. There's a different joy that God is talking about. It's a deep inner joy. It's a joy of the fruit of the Spirit that God gives to you. And there's, there's the belief that, that, um, that Thomas had. My Lord and my God. That's the worshiping belief. It's more than, yeah, God, Christ is a nice person. It's a deeper, I realize Christ is my all. It's Mary clinging to Jesus. Why? 
because she knew he was her all. We come to Resurrection Day because we celebrate every week Christ has risen. And that makes all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you have risen. You have made all the difference and you continue to make all the difference. May we grab hold of that truth. May it affect the way we think, our emotions. And when we do have that confusing, doubting, not entrusting time, Recall to our minds, Lord, that you have won the victory. You have proven once and for all that you have won the battle for us. Because you have risen from the grave. You live in heaven. You are our victorious King and Lord. May we live and rejoice in that all the time. For your glory, we pray. Amen.